Anybody uh, get a little scared looking at the sermon title today? I was going to title it Math Exam, and I thought no one would show up. Well, as another school year winds down, and educators look back at the nearly complete overhaul of teaching through the pandemic, you can be assured that as we go forward, the basics of reading and writing and arithmetic will always be the foundation to good education. The same is true for a solid study of the Word of God. There's no debating the fact that daily reading and reflecting on a balanced diet of the Word, of God's Word, both Old and New Testament, supercharges your faith, fills you with awe, grants you a peace that surpasses all understanding, and encourages you to share His love and grace and hope with others. And any of you who have ever spent time writing and journaling down what you believe God has spoken to you through prayer and and study, you can attest to how it, it accelerates your growth and your understanding of hearing and discerning God's voice and applying it in all you do. But what about arithmetic? Does the teaching and understanding of math concepts have anything to do with a solid faith approach for us? You bet it does. And it's because this topic has been avoided in many biblical studies that the faith of many is waning. Grace and truth are out of balance. And very few are walking in the full authority of God that He has intended to walk in in this world. This is why as kids are getting ready to happily close their math books for the year, Today, we are going to open up the good book for a very important math lesson today from God Himself. We're going to begin in the book of Deuteronomy for some math basics that are missing in way too many theologies today. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, which is our memory verse for today, says this, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. It seems so simple coming from God. He has given us all the words of the Bible. All that we need to stay strong in this life and remain in His will until we reach our heavenly destination in eternity with Him. In fact, maybe you've heard this said before if someone gave a suggestion of what the word Bible means, the acronym of Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Because the Word uh, word of God are instructions to us, and if we believe that He is a whole lot wiser than us, then you would expect all who desire to join Him in eternity to follow this very simple mathematical command. Do not add to what I command, and do not subtract from it or take away from it. Yet this instruction is overlooked far too often. You see, at its core, it means that we should not add to the Word of God our human interpretations that contradict the entirety of the Word. Yet people do this all the time. When they start with an idea that sounds good, and then they take Scripture verses out of context to back up their ideas to an attempt to persuade and motivate and manipulate and teach others. 
Teaching should not start with a good idea. Rather, it should start with a God idea found in His Word. And then as we pray and meditate on His Word, we remain open to the Holy Spirit to give us the true interpretation of each passage and teaching if we take the time and ask Him what it means, how it can apply to our lives. God's Word is powerful enough as it is. He does not need the embellishment of man, the theatrics of emotional speakers, or the words of a poet to help improve his word. If you've been, if you listen to any of my sermons, you know that I use a lot of scripture because that's the perfect part of the sermon. God's word is the power. A good teacher of the word who shares spirit-given revelation that connects the entirety of the word together is what is called for by God, our divine instructor. That's why I use so much Scripture to show you that it all ties in together. Yet there are too many actors today trying to use concert-type lighting, loud music, and other sensory tricks to create the illusion of God's presence and of God's power. God's power is already present in His Word. Nothing more needs to be added and nothing more should be added if we are following this command. Too many false teachers and false prophets of today neglect this simple command in Deuteronomy. They promote their man-made ideas as special revelation that they receive from God, though far too much of it does not line up with the entirety of God's Word. However, the followers of such false teachers are just as much to blame if they fail to take these new teachings in the Word for, to look for verification. We must all be like the early Christians in Berea. Acts 17, verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. When they would go and listen to someone preaching the Word of God, they would say, is this so? They would go back and search the Scriptures to see it. Not just take a man or woman at His Word. But they would take it, and the first thing to do is they'd go back and to make sure it lined up with the Word of God. If we are going to obey God's command to follow Him, then we must all be willing to go to His Word to back up what we believe and the teachings that we are basing our speech and thought and actions on. This is why we have been imploring and inviting you again and again to join a Bible study somewhere. doesn't matter if it's our church or another church, but to join a Bible study somewhere with like-minded believers and Christians. We all must grow in our knowledge of the Word so we can rightly divide the truth in this age that we are living in because truth is a dying commodity today in society. With this point made clear, we move on to the second part of Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. We are not to subtract from the Word of God either. This math instruction is broken consistently in two ways. First, there are movements of some denominations that have been influenced by political correctness to say that some Bible teachings are archaic and not culturally sensitive to the times of today. I'm sure you've heard that argument before. Consequently, some denominations have changed 
subtracted, have changed the biblical doctrines to appease the public in the hopes of attracting larger congregations and create places where people are seemingly happier on the surface. There is a lot wrong with this picture. Not only does it break God's command about His Word, not only does it promote the lie that people are smarter than God and know better than God, not only does it create churches that fear man more than God, it simply is not healthy to remove conviction. The power of the Gospel is that the Word, when spoken in uncompromised truth, convicts people in their sins. And we all are sinners. Thank God for the Word that brings conviction upon us so we can go to God and be healed. We are convicted by the indwellings of the, in the, by the presence of the Holy Spirit as we read the Word. However, if man overrides God and redefines what is considered sin, then there is no conviction to change. There is no conviction to pursue holiness. The Bible says without holiness, it is impossible to see God. There's no conviction to seek forgiveness. And consequently, there's no need for Jesus to save us from our sins. Many false teachers today are promoting a false gospel that is man-made, not heavenly anointed by basing the facts on the Word of God. They are compromising the Word of God and falsely calling it freedom in Christ. Yet they have no idea what freedom is because of the second way that they are subtracting from His Word. They are not teaching the entirety of the Bible. They are cherry-picking Scriptures by not teaching them in the context that they were given. For example, when trying to promote a compromised freedom in Christ, they will quote John 8.32 in isolation. You've heard this verse. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So tell the truth. Tell the truth, be truthful, because the truth will make you free. It's not what it is in context. Sounds great, though. It should fill the seats and allow more people to live in freedom, right? Wrong. Because it's not taught in context. The full passage, when it is not subtracted, is this, in John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, if you live in My Word and know it and depend on it and go back to it to search it, to back it up, if it, if it infuses out of all that you do, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. Why? Because you abide in the Word. And the truth shall make you free. It's not your truth or someone else's truth or telling the truth. It's abiding in the truth of God. And that truth of God, if we don't taint it, if we don't subtract from it or add to it, that truth will make us free. Too many modern day churches do not teach the Old Testament because they say we are in the age of grace. I don't know about you, but the message last week on Memorial Day was very touching to me as well about seeing how the Israelites went into the promised land and the contrast that was created for them. That is so unnecessary to teach both the old and the new. The Bible is clear that only the entirety of God's Word will give us an accurate picture of who our God is and how awesome the gift of salvation is. 
But not only the Old Testament is left out of much of modern-day preaching, so too are some difficult passages in the New Testament. Rather than praying and meditating on the Word and asking the Holy Spirit for the correct interpretation, difficult passages are often avoided and thus subtracted from the doctrinal teachings and the truth of the Word of God. There is one passage that is constantly brought up in modern social movements of political correctness and falsely claiming it to be out of step with today's world. So rather than avoid it, let's talk about it from God's perspective. Ephesians 5.22 Many preachers wouldn't dare preach on this because they think they might lose followers. That's the truth. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There it is. The passage that has brought about so much debate about the Bible being out of touch culturally, it's archaic. And it continues. Ephesians 5.23 For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. These words have inflamed feminists, have inflamed social movements and activists and people who argue against Christianity. They are repulsed by the idea of wives being told that they have to submit and that the husband is head of the wife. Ephesians 5.24, remember we're studying this in context. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Maybe you too have been offended by these words or have at least questioned how they can be in God's Word if God really loves everyone equally. Well, let me begin by saying that if you read these passages in context and allow God to show you His perspective, you will understand. You see, God was not only talking to the wives. He also had a very stern command for men. It's just that He spoke to the wives first. Look at 525, because it's often not quoted when they studied this passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. Did you catch it? Because most people miss it here when they subtract from the Word of God. Yes, wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, but husbands are commanded to be willing to die for their wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, He died for us. Did we deserve it? No. The Bible says while we are yet sinners, He still died for us. That is how, that is how husbands are supposed to love their wives by being willing to die for them. Christ died for the church. That's how He showed His love. Husbands must be willing to die for their wives. Therefore, you decide which is more of a strict command, to submit to another or to die for another. Ephesians 5.26 That He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. When we all are in proper alignment, submitted to one another, and trusting God's commands, then He can sanctify us with His Word. That is why we must be in the Word, all of us, 
so God can sanctify all of us. But if we question the Word because we subtract from it or add things that are not there, we do not let the Word convict us and change us and teach us. We must trust that God gave us the Word in perfection. And if we patiently wait on God to give us the revelation that we need to understand His commands, He is always faithful. Then we truly allow the Word to wash us of our wrong beliefs, of our judgments, of our assumptions, because we don't know everything. I think you've heard me say this before, but one of my friends used to say, listen, when you get your own set of planets and your own solar system and your own constellations, you can make the rules. But for right now, let's trust God. If He created this whole entire universe, let's trust Him that His Word is true and He knows what's best for us. If we allow the Word to cleanse us and heal us, then we will be sanctified for Him. But let's continue in context. Because this is often left out as well. Ephesians 5.27 That He might, this is speaking of Jesus, that He might present her, her is the church, the body of Christ, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that there but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is one of the most important points about a godly marriage as ordained by God between a man and a woman. If this were taught in context, there would be far fewer debates about marriage rights. The reason why God instituted the covenant of marriage is not just so that we can share our love for one another. It's great, but that's not the main reason why God gave us the covenant of marriage. It's also not so that we don't have to just burn in passion for one another. This passage makes it clear that God gave us the gift of marriage so that we can understand and fully appreciate our relationship with Him, with God. The church, the body of Christ around the world, across the denominational lines, the church is the bride, the bride of Christ getting herself ready for Jesus' return. He is the bridegroom. He's coming back for His bride. Our job is to get ourselves ready. I know very shortly when my daughter gets ready, and it's, going to, it's going to be a lot going on. A lot of focus, a lot of attention, a lot of preparations that go into it. It doesn't just happen the morning of. It's a lot of preparations to get yourself ready physically and spiritually and relationally to get yourself ready for the groom. That's what God has called us as the church to do, to spend time in His Word and get ourselves ready. Cleanse us, wash us, let us be forgiven. Let us prepare ourselves for Jesus when we come together in eternity. The only way we will be ready is if we submit to Jesus as our head. Spend time with Him in the Word. And allow His living Word to set us apart from the world. Why would we be willing to submit to Christ as our head? Because Christ loved us so much that He was willing to die for us, each and every one of us, for our sins, so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and join Him for eternity. Thus, when we understand marriage in its context, we allow God and His Word to prepare us for eternity. Ephesians 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is the whole message. It is not of domination, but rather a declaration of His perfect love for us. This is the context when nothing is added and nothing is subtracted. This is the power of His love and grace. This is how we are set free by abiding in the entirety of His Word. When we operate in biblical truths, we allow God to bless us in so many wonderful ways. Well, there's one more addition lesson I want to cover today. It is the biblical truth, this biblical truth, that serves to undergird what God is looking for in an anointed church today seeking His will. Listen, there are countless books and programs and conferences out there trying to sell you the best idea on how to grow your church. I get flooded with these offers all the time, as you can imagine. Someone else has the greatest idea to how to grow your church. There are people and ministers who claim that you need more programs and more resources and better equipment to magnify your music or a hundred other things. And yeah, those things are nice. But it's not the main way to grow your church. They believe you need to promote your individual brand and show how you are different than other churches. They encourage you to stand out from the crowd. So people will pick your church over others. They advertise, tell you to advertise the special programs that your individual church has to offer. Yet the Bible is clear on what it takes to add to the church. None of those things are in the Bible. As the church began to grow on the day of Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit fell and empowered the witness. Peter began to preach with boldness speaking uncompromised truth which brought conviction on all those listening. Acts 2.37, after he got done talking, and he didn't hold back at all. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Simple answer right here. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter did not add nor subtract from the Word of God. He also didn't soften the message, fearing that they might be offended. He faithfully spoke the uncompromised truth and it cut them to the heart. Conviction brought about a desire to be saved which opened them up to repentance and forgiveness and restoration and healing and salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit to keep them in God's will. Acts 2 verse 40 And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
3,000 souls were added to this group of God-fearing Christians. Not simply a particular church because of its programs. This happened when the Word of God was taught in context, allowing people to be convicted, not trying to save them, but allowing the Word to convict them and allowing Jesus Christ to be the answer when they cried out to God. This is the first part of this addition lesson for, the, for growing a church. And the second is just as important. And it is the foundation for the vision that I have laid out here since Nancy and I first arrived. Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That means just enjoying one another's company. What we all have in common. And the breaking of bread and in prayers. We believe in connections and meeting with one another, calling each other, sending them cards and letters. God has led us to start small groups in the past and I'd like to get it going again when people are willing. We have encouraged fellowship with others in a variety of ways as this church enjoys doing and one of your greatest gifts is loving people. That's what people say all the time. I came to the church, the first thing I noticed is people were great. I mean, they, they loved us. It's a gift from God that we can use. We believe in the power of Bible studies and sharing our faith and giving testimonies. As you've heard, some people give tremendous testimonies here. Acts 2.46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Again, as we remain cognizant of one another, taking each other's requests before the Lord, Meeting each other's needs in practical ways, we find the key to growing individually and corporately. In fact, in the past year, we have promoted change in the diaconate board. Yes, you will see our very faithful and dedicated deacons each week at the doors, assisting in our worship services. But we've added the biblical priority that our deacons take a greater responsibility and carry for the spiritual needs of the church. We spend time at meetings, praying for individual members, reaching out to you on phone, on email, and personal contact, and identifying practical and prayer needs that each of you have individually. Then we plan on how, as a group, as a body, we can best meet those needs. If you have a practical or a spiritual need, I invite you to talk to one of our deacons who will make it a priority to share it with our team our team of prayer warriors and dedicated saints who love each and every one of you. And that's the truth. Acts 2.47 Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Did you get it? The Lord added to the church daily. This is the key point of this mathematical story problem. If we keep others' needs always before us and continue to promote Christ, not just our individual brand, but promote Christ, then it is the Lord who will add to our church. We don't need to promote our individual program or solely do things on our own that make us stand out. We must work together as Christians collectively as the body of Christ across denominational lines. That's the biblical model. If we continue to find ways to reach out to our community, joining like-minded churches and ministries who seek only to promote Jesus Christ, 
then the Lord will add to our church. Yes, we're still going to do programs. Yes, we're still going to have ministries. Yes, we're still going to do what God has called us to do with the gifts that have been given this church. But our goal is to promote Christ. And if we do that, and if we are faithful to do that, then the Lord will add to our church. When we become secure in who we are and in how God can use us to bless people in our community and beyond, continue to pour our heart and soul and resources into missions around the world, and continue to preach and teach the uncompromised Word of God in all that we say and do, then God will complete the equation by adding to our church. It really is that simple. But we must trust Him and obey Him at His Word. God has called all of us to understand this lesson in biblical mathematics so that His power and His love and His message of redemption can be shared throughout the world. The world needs that answer to this equation. For so many of them right now, it's the equation that can't be solved. We have the answer. Our job is to share it. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to His disciples, the, true, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Pray that the Lord would send you out as laborers into His harvest. He has a plan for all of us if we are courageous enough to ask and faithful enough to obey Him through His life-giving Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power in the entirety of Your Word. May You bring these things to our heart and mind. May Your words go down deep and take root and bear fruit of a changed life, of a redeemed life, of one that just has to share what You've done for us. 